0: Time he's had a shots.
1: What's going on guys? We're back with another episode of the 50 plus one football podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. And with me as always, a man who is to me like the winless streak is to Scheike, Billy.
0: Slightly negative this week, but I'll let you have that. So this week, guys, we have a major managerial sacking in Germany. There's a surprise team at the top of the Bundesliga. Is Arteta being let down by his players or is managerial nous? And Frankie's Funtime Blues have a bad time of it at Goodison Park. Shall we just quickly start with the highlights of the Manchester derby? Yes, please. Uh, highlight of the match for me was when uh, a moth flew past the sky camera. Moving on.
1: Very nicely put. Okay, um, Chelsea. <laughs> That's always funny, isn't it? Uh, it really is funny. I mean, I was also still laughing a bit about, you know, the Manchester Derby being as boring as any football match can be. But, you know, we'll ignore that. But, yeah, Chelsea. Um, Frankie's Funtime Blues, yeah. As you said, not having a good time of it at Goodison Park. They went with a bit of a different setup uh, this week with Kai Havertz getting moved from a central midfield role to the wing. That's just playing him out, out of position again. That's not really putting him in you know, his favorite position. That's just moving him from one position he doesn't like to another one he doesn't like.
0: I wanted to talk to you about this because obviously you've seen more of him than I have. Yeah. And I, I said it last week or a couple of weeks ago. The number 10 position should be his. But yeah. Chelsea sort of sometimes don't play with a number 10. I'm a little bit,
1: or I don't understand why Frank Lampard is so set on having two central midfielders and one central defensive midfielder, because he could as easily swap that midfield triangle around so that you have two central midfielders and one center attacking midfielder and then you could accommodate Kai Havertz. It's it's one of those things I don't know why he can't figure out a way to play maybe I don't know Kanté and Jorginho. Some Chelsea fans might really really hate me for put, for wanting to put those two in a duo of center defensive midfielders but I mean personally why not accommodate your 80 million Pound signing
0: Well you talk about that It's a similar situation to what Solskjaer has At Manchester United Where in some games She's played that narrow midfield diamond Where he's had McTominay at the base Or Fred at the base And then you have two centre mid spots Normally Pogba And either the other one of Fred And McTominay And then Fernandez at that focal point The number 10 role why could you not go Kante, Kovacic, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz at the 10 and then have, well, uh, Olivier Giroud slash Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner up front?
1: But but here's here's one question I have for you. Do you think that Chelsea would be able to move from, you know, a system that arguably is wing heavy or heavier to a system that is as, you know, Compact in the, sen- uh, in the center of the park, as for instance Manchester United. Do you think that would be possible, or do you think that 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 they are set up to attack down the wings, especially when you have someone like Rhys James being able to back up Timo Viano on the left hand side?
0: I think they're probably set up for that. But if that's the case, and you talk about Rhys James and Ben Chilwell, why not play five at the uh, three at the back with two wing backs and have James and Chilwell offering? width and crossing threat then you can play Timo Werner and Kai Havertz in preferred positions
1: and you could still play Timo Werner in a uh, striking pair with Tammy Abraham or Olivier Giroud and arguably you'd have you know because you can switch out Giroud and Tammy Abraham both you have one tall big target man and one who can make the deep runs into um you know into space
0: yeah, it's really similar to what he had at Leipzig when it was him and Yusuf Poulsen up front.
1: Exactly. You know, it's not like Timo Werner needs to be alone for him to play or get his full potential onto the pitch. He's used to be, uh, used to being in a striking partnership. As you said, he's done it before at Leipzig, and you know it begs the question of is Lampard maybe being too stubborn with his uh, with his starting lineup because. I don't think Kai Havertz has played in position once this season.
0: No, I can't. I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I keep saying to you, oh, he's been hooked off after 60, 70 minutes again. Like, he's he's making such little impact on games.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't understand. Like Everyone's going to say, or a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, you know, he should be making an impact regardless of which position he's in. And, um, you know, for 80 million, he should be, he should be doing that. No problems asked. But I completely disagree because you, you buy a player for that, for a specific position, because he has been doing bits in that specific position. I mean, he played center attacking midfield for Bayer Leverkusen, given he also had some stints at striker. And even then he produced, but in both positions he's still playing in a in the center or in the center attacking role and he's not playing on the wing or you know in a defen- more defensively minded role because i'd argue that if you're playing center mid in chelsea's starting 11 at this very moment in time you still have to be a little bit a little more defensively aware and you're also playing in a midfield duo which means kai havertz isn't in that central role on his own
0: well maybe over the festive period, with the amount of games, Lampard might be forced to change with an injury or something. But I want to talk about the goal that Everton scored, the winner that Sigurdsson scored. And, In
1: the 22nd minute.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I said it to you before we started recording, like, and you said, I don't think any Chelsea fan could be upset with Edward Mendy. You know, it's his, it's his first major mistake. As Chelsea goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think to to even have a dig at Many in any form or fashion is you know unwarranted because he produced what five or six clean sheets in a row in October, November of that period. And he's shown that he is definitely better than Kepa. I mean, he's he's still he's kind of got the best possible. Uh, starting scenario if you will because you know everyone's used to Kepa and his mistakes and or everyone was used to Kepa and his mistakes and how how rocky it was in goal for them so far that arguably it could only get better from there on out and I think even with that starting scenario that Mendy has definitely exceeded expectations so if anyone were to say, you know, oh, well, what's he doing there? Like, yeah, okay, you can ask in that situation what's he doing there. But at the end of the day, this is the first time he's cost you a penalty, and arguably, a penalty in the twenty-second minute shouldn't even cost a team a match. Uh, you still got a solid uh, sixty-eight minutes to play before you can before you concede, you know, the three points. So,
0: I think it's interesting what you say about Mendy when you talk about the amount of mistakes that Kepper's made, I think coming from Wren to Chelsea, one of England's top clubs, if he produces average goalkeeping performances, like he just does what's expected of a goalkeeper, Chelsea fans, it's like, oh my God. Because you're (laughs) so used to seeing a keeper drop things or mess up. When a keeper does their job, it's like, oh my God. It's like, it's like the second coming. It's like a messiah in goal.
1: I think it's funny because, I mean, I'm also by no means taking away from Edward Mendy's performances because he's definitely done well. He's produced more than average performances since uh, becoming number one at Chelsea. But, you know, you're completely right. I mean, it's almost a bit sad because, you know, Chelsea have actually not had bad goalkeepers in the past. You know, if, if we're going to think of Petr Cech, for instance... I mean, the guy was a beast for so many years on that goal.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because you're almost spoiled. Yeah, not spoiled, spoiled. With <laughs> let's let's be honest, it's like the best goalkeeper the Premier League has ever seen.
1: Ooh, that's a big shout, you know.
0: But best you, goalkeeper if ever he, seen. Is check. Yeah, well, if we discount his time at Arsenal, because they ruin players. <laughs> yeah. But the longevity, the trophies he won, the, like, the records he's got. I'll be willing to take you up on that, because um, I keep
1: always forgetting that Edwin Vandesar was just brought to Manchester United, you know, almost
0: three years too
1: late. Yeah, instance. he was... And...
0: Yeah, we, we kind of we got his best years i think but we probably could have used him in the interim and we had to go through people like tim howard and Thomas hey Keefe.
1: tim howard did a job at everton those years
0: yeah everton where there's no there's no expectation on you but you know if you're manchester united's goalkeeper
1: yeah okay especially when you've got people like uh people, people people like um peter schmeichel in goal, who've done such a job. You're not wrong. Well, hold on to that statement. Uh, Petr Cech, best
0: goalkeeper the Premier League has ever seen. I'll write that. Just before we move on to Arsenal, I want to quickly mention Guilfi Sigurdsson. Yeah. Who's... So James Rodriguez is injured. So that's why Guilfi Sigurdsson's come back in. He's been brought back in from the cold by Ancelotti. Yeah, And I said a few weeks back about when things don't go his way, James Rodriguez, his head goes, his attitude stinks, and he sort of like complains and gestures and shrugs it off. I think the attitude from Sigurdsson to come back in, captain the team, and say to Richarlison, who was demanding the penalty, no, Ancelotti said, I'm taking it which he did twice, incidentally. So they had one overturned, and again, Richarlison was like, give it here, give it here, and he stood his ground Sigurdsson. in. He's a player who, for so long, has been so good. And I think it's, you know, it, that's the right attitude to have. You come back in, you do a really good job. And I think maybe James Rodriguez doesn't go straight back into that team when he's fit.
1: Uh, I'd agree with you on that one. Save... For the fact that you know Sigurdsson can't just produce this one time, he has to keep producing this. But by all means, if he produces performances like he did against Chelsea, to uh, sorry yesterday, I don't see why he couldn't even give Hammers Rodriguez a run for his money for the starting eleven spot. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Well, there we go. That's Frank Lampard's Chelsea out of the way.
1: Oh, it is, it is almost painful to talk about Arsenal today, isn't it? Or these days.
0: if Arsene Wenger, if he still watches Arsenal, he'd just turn off midway through, wouldn't you?
1: I never thought I'd say this, but I'm pretty sure Arsenal fans are dying for Arsene Wenger to come back.
0: That's a big shout, especially how uh, they were so vocal at the end.
1: Here's the thing on that one. I'm not sure if they if they were mistaken to be vocal about him because I think at the, towards the end it really just didn't seem to be gelling for Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. But if you think about the about the fact that they just haven't gotten an adequate replacement for him, then you know, it's the question can be asked because it's a similar situation to that of Another team who we will talk about later on this podcast, but you know, who is an adequate replacement? Who are you going to get into that position who can take this club to the level that it has once played at? And I mean, I'd argue Mikel Arteta, as sound as he probably is tactically, he's not the right man for the job. Um, in my opinion, a tad too inexperienced and I think at the end of the day, so many people have said, "Yeah, while he while he was at Manchester City, Mikel Arteta was you know so good for Guardiola as a as a assistant manager." But I also think that without Guardiola, Arteta doesn't, or he's missing something.
0: Well, he's and, one of yeah. the best coaches in the world. Is what he's missing. <laughs> like it's not a little yeah. thing, and it wasn't Mikel Arteta and his tactical nous that made city centurions and won them a domestic treble and things like that that was guardiola i think arteta yeah. was there because he knew the league
1: yeah yeah and um that, that's what i'm i'm a little bit uncertain about how good arteta really is because we said it last weekend i think you did and you said arguably arteta has only had two good matches for arsenal and he's been there almost a year now. That's not enough for a club of Arsenal standing. As much as we both said Arsenal aren't, you know, the club they used to be, and they're definitely now just a mid-table club. They still have that history and they still have, you know, the recent success. I'm going to say recent, I mean, in, you know, the last 10 years. They've, had, they've been relatively successful. So I think two games in a year where you can honestly say that they've played very well and shown the potential, that's not
0: enough. Yeah, it's, it must be really hard to be an Arsenal fan, because you see, huh. I don't want to give him any credit, but you see things like AFTV, they always just lay into the players. And I watched the game against Burnley tonight, and I can honestly say, he was let down by his players. Uh, more importantly, he was let down by Granit Xhaka, who were needlessly sent off. He didn't need to choke Ashley Westwood. <laughs> like it was just it was like yeah. a storm in a teacup it come out of nowhere you know Ashley West was trying to push players apart and he just goes for his neck and it's like oh it's just so stupid you don't even need VAR to review that
1: I think the best thing in that match is still the fact that Aubameyang who seemingly can't hit the cows behind with a banjo somehow manages to score but then it's not even you know on the right goal
0: <laughs> well you know he managed to finally hit the net great header i'd be proud of that at the other end <laughs> but that's the thing i said it oh, must have been about a month month and a half ago now you don't give a player a contract like that midway through a season
1: yeah yeah i you think do, i think yeah.
0: Uh, you do it at the end of the season Prove to me over the course of the season you're worth this much money a, a week. Because now he's got that contract, he's got that money, he's got what he wanted, he's got his way. There's no motivation to go, okay, well, I've got to push myself, I've got to drive, I've got to prove that I can do this.
1: And I think that's very sad because we also said when you mentioned this, I said, you know, you'd hope some players would be professional enough to not do that, you know, to no matter what's on the line or if, you know, if they have a contract already, you know, uh, under lock and key or if they're still playing for a contract, they still would perform in the same way. And I think that just also goes to show that a Bamiang is just not that good of a, um, a professional. If, I mean, if we're going to take it at face value, you know, sign a new contract never since hasn't produced, then I think, yeah, we kind of have to go there. You know, we, we kind of have to make the statement. He doesn't care anymore as much because he's already getting paid.
0: I think a little bit of the blame has to be laid at Mikhail Arteta's door because he was made manager. He was head coach initially. He was made manager. He was given control of contracts and transfer negotiations and things like that. Mm. And then Aubameyang signed that contract. So. I don't know the goings on I don't know the inner workings but that tells me that whoever used to deal with it like the CEO or the director of football at Arsenal wasn't giving him what he wanted was trying to get something else they make Arteta manager give him control and he just gives a Bamiang everything he wants yeah
1: yeah hard to argue
0: maybe it's a bit of a panic like, oh, I need you to stay you're our best player
1: yeah, you know, what the hell's what the hell good is that when your best player doesn't produce? I mean, everyone was talking about how oh yeah, when they bought Lacazette, going to be an unreal player. He has not done a single stinking thing for Arsenal that is, you know, in any way noteworthy. He's had the odd game where he's where he's done well, but overall, you have to say he is average at best ever since coming to Arsenal.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, it's Christmas, there's a lot of fixtures, it's a period of rotation more than anything, for big clubs. Yeah. I think if you're an Arsenal fan, you want to see people like Eddie and Nketiah, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, even Joe Willock. Are you setting these players on loan? Well, that's the thing. Emil Smith-Rowe went on loan to Hoffenheim.
1: Was, nah, it was it was or, uh, Reece Nelson who went to loan on Hoffenheim.
0: Well, one of them. He went on loan to a Bundesliga club. <laughs> and he was great. Reese Nelson was insane. Not even yeah. on the bench tonight. And it's like these players, they want to, you know, they, they've they gone out, they've proved themselves. Aubame and they're not out.
1: getting in a team.
0: Lacazette's not performing. Willian has been atrocious
1: as you said in previous episodes showing why Chelsea
0: didn't offer him a new contract well it is I mean you, you know Bukayo Saka is arguably one of Arsenal's best players this season the only ray of sunshine put some faith in Eddie Nketiah Emil Smith-Rowe Reese Nelson like you've put in Saka maybe not all of them in one game
1: Yeah, but it's also depressing because Arsenal used to be such a club of, you know, almost grandeur, if you will. Like, yeah, but they're so tight. I think that was one of their main issues that have, you know, slowly put them in that downward spiral. But, you know, now who's going to go to Arsenal? I mean, the most recent talks um, about Dominic Suboslay from RB Salzburg you know, their, their Hungarian Wunderkind who is being chased by half of Europe, basically. Arsenal were probably one of the favourites to sign it and he snubbed them for RB Leipzig because on the one hand, you know, RB Leipzig a lot better than Arsenal just in terms of playing and where they're in, you know, league position. And on the other hand, he knows that he's going to have a better road of development, a road to the starting eleven of a Bundesliga team and maybe even then to, you know, international stardom at RB Leipzig than he is at uh, Arsenal
0: it's sad but it's true I, you look at Gabriel that joined them in the summer oh A poor kid like I'd be better off staying at Lille
1: I mean Thomas Partey probably thinking I wish I'd stay at Atletico
0: it's, it's shocking I mean full credit to Burnley tonight <laughs> Nick Pope was yeah. great. Tarkovsky, Ben Me was a mate. Charlie Taylor down that left side at left back was unreal.
1: I think yeah, and I think Burnley is showing, you know, even though they've been really scrapping for it in the at the bottom of the table so far this season, that you know, they've shown that there's still potential in that team. One thing I do have to say is that, you know, Nick Pope, if he wants to, you know, progress in his career, he needs to get out of Burnley ASAP.
0: Yeah, I think if you're going to be an international goalkeeper, I think it sounds horrible, but I think you're going to have to move to a top-six team.
1: Yeah. I mean, arguably, who, which top-six team right now needs
0: him, though? Well, that's the thing. I I don't really... I can't really think. Leicester, Kassarish Michael still really good. Oh, maybe Spurs, Lloris is coming to the end.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. And a Joe nice Hart transition. is
0: crap and gas is yeah. not very good you know liverpool have got allison united have got De Gea and dean henderson city have got edison
1: and zach stefan as well
0: is that the american guy
1: yeah, yeah. Who, who did very well for fortuna i have to say in the last uh season when he was you know not injured
0: well there we go so i think yeah nick pope to spurs Maybe you heard the- it
1: here first, guys.
0: <laughs> it's like another Max Cruz prediction.
1: Oh, yeah. There you go.
0: So, leaving the Premier League behind.
1: Let's go to the earthquake in the Bundesliga.
0: Well, you called it yesterday after, they, after Dortmund lost 5-1. At home. To newly to- promoted Stuttgart. every
1: time you hear it, you just keep thinking, Jesus Christ. I mean, just watching that game, you just thought, you know, uh, it just can't get any worse, can it? Oh, no, 4-1. Oh, no, 5-1. I mean, the best part of that was it was 4-1 to Stuttgart, and then Dortmund managed to pull one back, only for it to be ruled out by VAR because it was offside. And then literally two minutes later, they get a 5-1. I mean, you just
0: you just couldn't write this off. It was football comedy gold. You just what you're in absolute disbelief. And I refuse to believe that's because Haaland wasn't playing. I you, no, you can't no. pin that on one player.
1: Hell no. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it right now. Dortmund's squad is Bundesliga title worthy and at least Champions League quarterfinal worthy. At the very least, if not more.
0: Well, that's a very, that's a very bold shout. I know it's bold, but look at the players they've got. So, who was the lineup yesterday? So, Roman Berkey. In goal,
1: obviously, you know, you know, you've got the, he's a, he's a, as you said, he's not exceptional, but he is very good. You can't take that away from him. You know, he's done, he's done bits. So, you've got Berkey at the back um, in goal, and then Akanji, Hummels, and Chan. Akanji, probably the least experienced out of that back three. And Chan, arguably, he's a central midfielder and not a center back. But all three players with Bundesliga experience, and they're very decent. And I mean, Hummels, he's the one organizing them, and I still rate Hummels as one of Germany's best center backs. That has to be said. Rafael Guerrero... He's been solid for Dortmund. He's always been, you know, if he's not injured, he's always in their starting 11. He's got vicious attacking prowess, and he's also good defensively. Witsa and Bellingham making that perfect midfield duo where, you know, you got Bellingham with the young, raw athletic ability and skill, but also Witsa to shore up Bellingham if he makes a mistake, as you've definitely said numerous times on this podcast. And I mean, Reina, Sancho, and Royce up front. I mean, come on, you're going to tell me that they can't produce more?
0: That I don't want to spark this uh, fire again, having you know beaten it and flogged it to death over the summer. <laughs> but there's not, there's something not right at the moment with Jaden Sancho. He doesn't look. Like Jaden Sancho, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, that makes total sense when you compare his stats from from the previous season. I mean, previous season, what was it? Fifteen assists and fifteen goals.
0: Yeah, youngest player to ever reach thirty combined in the Bundesliga.
1: Yeah. So how how are you are you going to tell me that that is you know that that if he's going to be having less than if he has less than that. He's not going to be looked at as, you know, not being on his game. It is harsh, but when he's produced that before, everyone's obviously going to have a look and say, mm, you saw what he did last season. This season, under par.
0: It's difficult when you have such a great season. But the, there's world class potential there. I think it's naive to think he's world class every single game. Yeah. And. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that midfield axle of Witzel and Bellingham. I felt so sorry for Bellingham when he gave that ball away for, that led to the fourth goal and then was immediately hooked off. But these things happen in a player's career and it's how you come back from them.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's 17. It's a similar... It's, I, for me, There was similar feelings with, as with the... Um, Edward Mendy mistake. You know, he's done so well so far for Dortmund this season and he's so young. You know, I don't think anyone's going to be all too mad at him for that goal or for that that colossal howler of a pass. Because, yeah, as bad as it was, it kind of just fit with the rest of Dortmund's game. And it wasn't like that was what, you know, broke Dortmund. It was Dortmund weren't in it from the get-go.
0: Yeah, that could have been anyone that gave that pass away. Yeah. And Stuttgart newly promoted now sitting pretty in seventh place. Do you know what?
1: No, I had never heard of Pellegrino Matarazzo before this season, but their manager has done an unreal job. I mean, they gave Bayern a run for their money when they played them. They only narrowly lost that game. And that was really down to Bayern's individual class. You know, As a team, Stuttgart played better than Bayern in that match. And they've shown that they have, you know, a flair, good attacking style, good pressing against the ball. You know, it is it is fun football to watch.
0: I'll tell you what, they've got a really exciting young forward line. When you've got Tanguy Kudabali and Philip Foster, but you can bring on people like Nicolas Gonzalez
1: yeah or Mateo Klimovitz
0: it's ridiculous like they're three points off fourth place
1: yeah they're not they really aren't far and through that win at dortmund they're only two points behind dortmund themselves
0: so we i like, you really did revel in that and <laughs> You said to me afterwards, oh, he's got to go. Lucian father has got to go. I didn't think they'd do it.
1: So, see, this is one of those things that I have always said when it comes to Darwin, is that their management is just not... Their board of directors don't have the stuff to make the hard decisions so that the team can progress and the team can grow and can become an actual title contender. The board, in my opinion, and especially their sporting director, Michael Etzok, and uh, their, C- their CEO, Hans-Joachim they've let the club become a springboard for young emerging talent. And that's one of the things that has always bugged me about Dortmunds because, you know, when Dortmund won those two titles, they, didn't, they weren't a springboard for new talent. They were a team that players came to from a springboard, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, and I think Favre was a coach who was hired out of necessity more than anything else because he was a coach with international experience and didn't have a bad record. And I think at the end of the day, you still have to take a look at Favre because he was the third, he was, he was the third highest coach in Dortmund's history when it came to average points scored per match at 2.01 points a match on average. He was higher than Jurgen Klopp in this regard, who only had 1.9 points a match.
0: Yeah, but the difference is Jurgen Klopp's team...
1: Won titles.
0: Won stuff. And got to the Champions League final.
1: Exactly. And Klopp also took over Dortmund when Dortmund were a struggling team in mid-table. And obviously at the beginning... They weren't going to win right from the get-go but having having said all this Favre in my eyes was also never a manager who was going to win Dortmund titles he didn't have that title winning mentality his press conferences were an absolute snooze fest you knew exactly what, what he was going to say He, I said this a couple of episodes ago his response to press questions would have been the same if, as if he had lost 5-1 or he'd won 5-1. It wouldn't have mattered. You weren't going to get anything big out of him. Even when they played catastrophically against Lazio Rome in the first match of the Champions League group stage, he gave this bland interview that said, you know, oh yeah, we played bad. These thi- This was bad. We'll look at it again next week.
0: I don't... It's a difficult one. And... You think of the, a coach like Jurgen Klopp. They've not replaced, but they've not replaced him. Like Thomas Tuchel left after two years because he just fell he out.
1: Ju- he yeah, exactly. He fell out with management because he Thomas Tuchel to this day has the best average points scored of all of Dortmund's coaches in their
0: hundred-year history. Yeah, it's like something like a sixty-eight. Sixty-nine percent win record. Yeah, two point one two points per match. Okay, so we've taught this, and I asked you to pick some prospective coaches.
1: Ooh.
0: We don't know what who each other have picked, but I want your first choice. Here's the thing.
1: I'll, I'll make it. I'll spruce it up a little more. We'll have our first choice and a dark horse, and then we'll go to you know the rest of the choices we've picked.
0: Okay, I like that. Okay, so who's your first
1: choice? Okay, so my first choice, just because, one, he's on the market, and two, he's got a lot of international experience. And I'm not just saying, you know, he's he's coached in a different country, but he's also managed in the Champions League, and that is Maurizio Pochettino. He's readily available. He wants to get back in. You said... A few weeks back, he's got that glitter in his eyes when he was on Monday Night Football as a uh, sports as a Sky expert. I'd say he'd do a job.
0: See, that's interesting because as good as I think he'd be there, I, I think he's holding out for no disrespect to Dortmund, but a bigger job.
1: You know, here's the thing: the reason you say that is because I think. Pochettino has seen as well as many others that Dortmund saw that springboard mentality and he doesn't want to be the manager of a springboard.
0: Yeah, he wants to to build something.
1: Here's the thing, if Dortmund's execs can convince him of the fact that they don't want to have the club have that springboard mentality anymore, they might be able to convince him to come and manage. That's
0: a really interesting choice. Because there's no doubt the way... Well, just before I go on to that, there's no doubt the way that he managed and the way that his Tottenham played, that Dortmund side would be great.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: See, my choice was someone who's readily available Mm -hmm. with a lot of international experience. And it's Max Allegri.
1: Ooh, okay. I didn't even have him on my list whatsoever.
0: So he's been out of the job for a year now after leaving Juventus in
1: 2019.
0: Yeah. He's won it all, really. Same for the Champions League. Well, yeah, I think the only thing he hasn't won is the Champions League.
1: And he's made it to a final.
0: Experienced manager, he's managed at the top level, he's won at the top level, which is the only criticism you could have of Poch. Yeah. Is that as exciting as that Spurs team were to watch in that Champions League run and however close they came to winning the league it never quite came off yeah I can see that so that would be my number one but your dark horse
1: I'm going to surprise you with this one Jesse Marsh from RB Salzburg
0: oh he's a good coach
1: Reason being is that Seitzburg, as much as they, you know, they got more or less the crap kicked out of them during the group stage. One, I mean, they've got teams like Bayern and uh, Atletico Madrid. You know, that's just that's just rotten luck. And two, for long periods of the matches, and both home and away, they held Bayern and Atletico respectively to a tight match until around the 70th minute or so, when both Bayern and Atletico's individual class and experience just showed and came through, and you know won them the won them the matches, because we said you know in the European edition, I think it was episode two or three, that the 6-2 that Bayern walked away with from book did not reflect the match whatsoever, and you know. RBZ are right now known for for playing very fast, aggressive, forward-thinking football. And I mean, that's what they've tried to keep in Dortmund for years, ever since Klopp left.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to the way, you know, the manager coming, they're going to have to match that philosophy, that footballing DNA, if you will. Yeah. Do you want my dark horse? Yes, please. See, I I was thinking about this. He's not long been at his current club, and I'm thinking maybe Dortmund repeat history and buy him out. Well, they repeat history and they take a, a Borussia Gladback manager and they go for Marco Rosa.
1: Ooh. See, he didn't make my list either, to be honest with you, because I personally am unsure whether Max Eva, Borussia I mentioned that, sporting director, would let that happen. But that is a very, very interesting shout, and Ooh. it's also been named as by one football as you know the possibility.
0: I actually, I, I not It has actually, been. It has been. I hadn't actually seen that. I think I've not got one football on my new phone yet. But. You know, we talk about the way, you know, we've gushed over the way Gladbach play. Yeah. And Dortmund have a better team than Gladbach. Yeah. That style of play with those better players under Marco Rosa, why not?
1: I think it's hard to argue with that because, you know, we've both said it. Gladbach have a very, very fun style of football to watch. And it's also been effective for the most part. Um, you know, taking the younger results or the results in recent matches or having those aside. I'm just thinking that it's going to be extremely hard to pry away Marco Rosa from a job that he's only just taken. I mean, relatively speaking, he's he's been at the club for a year now. I think when he's only just taken this job, it's going to be very hard to pry him away, especially with the job he's done. And funnily enough, Marco Rosa has already managed RB Zeitzburg before going to Gladbach.
0: Well, there we go. We could have... Well, they've already said that Edin... Is it Edin Terzic?
1: Tezic, Yeah, Terzic, I think. I, I personally don't know him either.
0: I, well, it's something I've never heard, someone I've never heard of, but he's there till the end of the season. They've said that.
1: He's apparently Slavin Bilic's uh, former assistant manager.
0: Well, let's hope he does better than Slav is doing at West Brom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's pretty easy to do better than Slav is doing at West Brom.
0: (laughs) But we could could have a situation in the off-season where you have Marco Rosa moving to Dortmund and then Borussia Mönchengladbach taking RB Salzburg's coach again and having Jesse March... At Gladback.
1: Well, guys, we're really knocking out the predictions today. So, again, you heard it here first. <laughs> oh, jeez.
0: I'm going to get some crystal ball installed.
1: And we'll, have, we'll have the AT Sports logo engraved on it. So, just
0: before, With... uh, just before we finish, oh, Schalke.
1: We have to mention them. And the reason being is that I was believing they were going to finally break their winless record after 26 matches. And they concede the 2-2 two, in two, the 90th plus three. It hurt to watch.
0: Oh, you'd feel sick, wouldn't you? I wasn't even a Shayka
1: fan, and I was sitting in front of the TV with, like, biting my nails, more or less, hoping that they'd make it through. I mean, they really deserved it They because it was the first time that I watched, you know, it was a completely scrappy match. Like, you know, it was almost not Bundesliga level anymore, but it was scrappy from both teams. Mark Uth went off after being knocked out from uh, an aerial challenge early in the game. I mean, it was scary to watch the highlights because, you know, you see the way he gets hit in midair from, you know, the forehead of uh, one of the Augsburg players and you just see the lights go out behind his eyes while he's still in midair. So when he's going down, he's already knocked out.
0: That's horrible to think about.
1: It really is, but I think that is more or less what happened to Schaika in the 90th plus three minutes of the whole team, because you're just wishing that this historic club finally gets gets over that drought. And, you know, they were up 2-1 for so long. And, you know, Augsburg got a red card, it seemed like this was going to be the time. And then it just doesn't happen.
0: You get to the point where there has to be, you have to have a strong mental ability if you're in that Schalke team, because there's going to come a point where you're just going to think, we're just not going to win. Yeah. I mean, and you end up like that team I sent you, was it Tasman- Tasmania, Berlin?
1: Yes. 31 winless streak, and their new first season in the Bundesliga in the 65-66 season. 150 uh, or sorry, 15 goals scored, 108 conceded.
0: Uh, it's just it's it's sad to see because Schalke. I used to love watching Schalke when they had like Klaas-Jan
1: They've churned out so many good plays as well, you know, just to name a few. Manuel Neuer, Leroy Sané, Leon Goretzka.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. And <sighs> you've got to think they're down. I,
1: I think at this point, you get, they've done all they can from their side. They now just need the football god to basically smile down on them for there to be, you know, a turn. In in their form.
0: Well, it's been a weird season, so let's hope. I, I am
1: hoping. I yeah.
0: I misspoke when I said last thing because we haven't mentioned Bayer Leverkusen, who currently sit top of the Bundesliga.
1: And you're the, not wrong.
0: The season after losing their star player.
1: And I think it's something that no one expected because, as you said, one, they lost their star player, and two, the season didn't even start. You know rampantly for them. They started the season off with draws. nil 0 against Wolfsburg. 1-1 against RB uh, Leipzig. All fun and good. Then Stuttgart, showing that they're, you know, in the Bundesliga to stay. Also 1-1. Didn't win till the fourth match day.
0: That's what Who I mean. It goes... yeah. Sorry, I've interrupted you.
1: No worries, no worries. I, I was just going to keep rambling on as I do.
0: (laughs) Just goes to show how much of a a mad season it is because you wouldn't think, you know, you think some of the games that Bayern have had. Yeah. Leverkusen were winless until match day four. And they're a point ahead.
1: You have to say though, that Leverkusen went on a winning streak after that until match day eight. Or match a nine, sorry, where they drew nil-nil at uh, HETA BSC. But then, you know, the, that's their current form. They have yet to lose a match this season in the Bundesliga.
0: Unreal. But even though they lost Kai Havertz, they've got a really exciting team. Like Leon Bailey, I love him. Absolutely, it's a joy to watch Screamer that Dreamer
1: Screamer tonight against Hoffenheim. Jeez. I love it.
0: He's so good. And Lucas Solario as well. I just player, they've got a good little group of players, like it's a little bit of a ragtag bunch, if you know
1: what I mean. But it's they've produced. I mean, Peter Bush, funnily enough, this is the guy who was sacked from Dortmund after six months, and most notably going winless in the group st- stages of the Champions League in 2016. And he's now producing bits at Leverkusen. I mean.
0: Well, it must have hurt to lose Kai Havertz in the summer.
1: Oh, and without a shadow of a doubt,
0: he was. You say he was sacked after six months at Dortmund. Yeah, I'm starting to slow. I'm starting to slowly think. Over the course of recording this, maybe the problem at Dortmund is upstairs.
1: That's not a maybe. That is fully the case, and it's. It is just down to the fact that you know. I still, as I've said. It's them managing the club as a springboard club more than a club who attracts, you know, seasoned star players. They've done well to hold on to Jaden Sancho and Elling Haaland at this point, but now they have to do that for the next three to four years at least.
0: Yeah, I, it's difficult. Well, you say that, but Leon Bailey's been around for what seems like forever and yet Leverkusen held on to him.
1: It's the same thing as also with uh, Möncheng Dattbach, who had a great season last uh, season, and then you know, they managed to hold on to their star players. So I think the Bundesliga would just be, in general, more on par with the Premier League if they didn't just sell all their star players to the Premier League.
0: Well, maybe that, maybe that was the start of some sort of mentality shift.
1: I'm hoping so.
0: Like, no, hang on. We're not going to sell you our best players because we want to be competitive on... In Europe. Yeah, on a European stage and on financial terms. You know, an attractive league will attract money. It will attract sponsors and broadcasting deals. If the, if the Bundesliga becomes this ridiculously attractive, entertaining league, well, it's not entertaining at the moment, but like premier league standard of like well premier league level yeah i think more broadcasters are going to want rights
1: yeah definitely and i think i think at this point now that the bundesliga if they can keep on holding on to their talent the only thing at some point that will be you know separating them from the premier league is the money involved in the premier league and you know, to on the one hand, it's because the Premier League is just a league that has been marketed so much more successfully and just better. But also, on the other hand, it's down to that 50 plus one rule where, you know, you can only get so much money in through the TV rights deals and the marketing. And, you know, the Premier League just has so often still has the, as our good old university professor would say or lecturer would say, the sugar daddy yeah. who comes in.
0: I do like the ownership rule in Germany. But at the same time, it's probably the thing holding the smaller clubs back. Yeah. Yeah. But you never know. You never know.
1: And I mean, also we have to add that you, Hoffenheim started so furiously. I think Hoffenheim's form and Andre Kramaric's form... Have been synonymous, in the fact that they started furiously, and everyone thought you know they were going to be the dark horse, and now they're you know mid-table, have twelve points, and really stagnated.
0: He started so well for him, didn't it?
1: He it really won play, did.
0: player of the month in the first month, and now it's like watching him play for Leicester all over again.
1: I mean, he was being touted as being the Lewandowski backup for Bayern.
0: Can you imagine <laughs> if you gone out, out and bought him?
1: Jesus Christ! Thank God we didn't. But I think that'll do it for this week. We've had a more of an action-packed episode than I thought we were going to have. But you know, then again, that's the great thing about this podcast: new avenues of topics open up as we go along.
0: Well, one of Germany's top clubs sacks their manager. There's going to be at least one thing to talk about, even if the Premier League results weren't that amazing this weekend. <laughs> Hey, we still,
1: I feel we still got a lot of the Premier League. You know, we've, we've, we really went to town on Arsenal and Chelsea. So, yeah, that's there you good. go. Oh, it's all, it, all, it always is good fun. And then we also went to town on uh, Dortmund and uh, Schalke, which I think Schalke is less fun, Dortmund more. But well, there
0: we go. So that's all we have time for this week, guys.
1: Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, follow, do your thing on social media. We're always posting new content and new episodes. And if my memory serves me correctly, we have midweek action from both leagues this coming week. So you will not have to despair for the fact that the European editions are going to have to stop till February because the 50 plus one football podcast will be back with Bundesliga match day 12 midweek thanks for listening guys keep calm love the beautiful game